Hello, welcome to One for the Road. I'm Kim Washington. I'm with Randy and Bob and our guest, Davon Stack, who is our JI director at Perimeter Church. Today, we are going to talk about loving the other and what it looks like to love our brothers and sisters who are different races. This is a long one, so sit back and enjoy the conversation. But what do you, what do you see us? What do we want to get accomplished here today with Davon? Uh, I would like for the... the Officers primarily listen to this, but we like for others to begin listening to. So um, I would like for them to get a, a better feel and understanding um, for the experience of black people in America. I guess that'd be a good generic way to describe it, for them to, them to get it. I mean, there's so much talk out there. I mean, and they're in the newspaper today, right? Mm-hmm. There's the Tulsa shooting, and there's the other one. Um, it's out there. You know? Okay. And, uh, I mean, I can, I can give that. That's kind of more like what I did on uh, for that staff chapel. And that's actually recorded, so they could do that as well. Um, what you have there? Is this that? is more so just what we as a church can do, like what people in the church can do, yeah. um, what that looks like interacting with different minorities and stuff like that. Oh, okay. so I, well, I, I, say, I emailed him some, some things. Right. To, yeah. okay. What I would say would be a, it still would be helpful to have sort of a condensed, if you could do that, kind mm-hmm. of story. How do you feel about that? Just a shortened version. Kind of, of, I think, I mean, the, uh, some of that, I mean, some of that is in here. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but, so that's what we want to get accomplished. And, Kind of the experience, and then maybe ideas about going forward as a church. So, okay, cool. Yeah, and your your list is what the church can do to be more open to minorities being well, in the church. Yeah. So basically, it was um, the questions that Cam uh, presented to me were, um, so some of my story, and then also mm-hmm. what does that look like for those of us in the church interacting with. Uh, different minorities and stuff like that. So, like, what's, what are some, like, even asking some of the hard questions of should they move to a different school, get their kids to a different school, how can we stop the the continuation of some of the stereotypes that are there? Um, should they go, I mean, even, like, asking the hard questions of should we get, go to a different church, just different things like that, mm-hmm. just to, to say what are some, I guess, in my opinion, some practical steps that can, mm-hmm. be, that can be taken for the people that are here, mm-hmm. um, that are here already, and that are already asking those questions from people that are on staff to people that are our parishioners, all of that that are within our church, mm-hmm. just because they're going through a lot of it. You know, it's just, it's every day. And like, even one of the big things I have is, you know, how do you just making that something that is part of your everyday life? Um, if we're going to go to a different culture uh, for an overseas missions trip and you are, um, you were you would study that culture, find out about mm-hmm. them, make sure you don't do anything to offend them, mm-hmm. get all the information you can. And I'm saying we need to do the same thing for the people, our neighbors. Um, so mm-hmm. the, the people that live around us, people you see in Walmart, Target, yeah. um, that kind of thing, people you interact with on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So find out about their culture as well, just so that it's not so, oh, I just don't want to offend them, but just mm-hmm. how can I minister to them well, mm-hmm. especially for if it's people who are in the church, whether they are believers or not. How do we minister to each other well? What's that mm-hmm. additional step that needs to be taken to make that happen? Okay. Well, so. Yeah. Good. So this is not just about African Americans. 
in my opinion, I think it's it should be for all minorities because I mean it's it's an issue for everyone. Yes, we're the we're the ones that are on the forefront, right. the ones that have the I feel like the largest voice and the ones that things are happening to right now. Mm-hmm. But I would say these same things regardless of what race it was, mm-hmm. because I've had people say, well, I don't have a lot of African-Americans that live near me. But what about if it's an Indian family, especially right. in Johns Creek? And I'm like, mm-hmm. it's the, the same principles apply, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. And what would you do in that situation? How would you want to train your kids up to mm-hmm. interact with them and, and th- mm-hmm. stuff like that? So, yeah. Okay. Because even in my so context, turn it on now it's it's already on. Okay. Yeah, I just I just have a recording. I can take things out later. Um, but yeah, even in my generation, I find that there are two different camps as far as what to do. And with younger evangelicals that I talk to, they're coming to me and asking me like, "Okay, so what do I do when they live in um, Sh- uh, Sugar Hill and Swanee and?" Mm-hmm. And I'm in a predominantly white context, mm. but I want to minister to those who are different than me. Do mm. I move to the city? Do I, you know, like how do I how do I reconcile that without completely uprooting my life? Like, is that even an option? Do mm. I need to move into a different neighborhood? Right. And there's a lot of confusion on just what to do, um, because their their convictions are just they don't know how to maneuver through them without mm-hmm. drastic swinging of like I'm going to have all my friends be different than I am and I'm going to go to a black gospel church I'm like that, that, that's not what I'm asking you to do right mm-hmm. but at the same time I don't know what to encourage them to do mm-hmm. because their context is a lot different than an urban context and that that was mainly mm-hmm. what I wanted to hear from you just because I mean we live in Duluth we live mm-hmm. in Johns Creek mm-hmm. we live in Swanee um, so what we say is going to be different to the church that's in Grant Hill right. and mm-hmm. East Point and, and things like that. So so maybe that's a good place to start then. Um, so I don't have to move to Africa to have mm-hmm. black people that I would like. Correct? Right. Right? Okay, got that. Mm-hmm. I have to go to Africa. So what would you say then? What, what would you, what's, how, how, do, how do people kind of jumpstart? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, just from my own personal background, my parents... My dad was in the military. He wasn't active. He not active. He wasn't uh, full time. He was reserves, and so we didn't go to Korea and Germany and all those different places. But we lived right next to Fort J- Fort Jackson, which is the largest training base in the, in the at that point in time in the nation. And so all of our, I mean, we were five minutes away. So all of my friends from elementary school and all of that, they came from all over the world. Friends that I went to international church as well. So I had friends from. Korea, Samoa, Switzerland, England, Philippines, um, Nigeria, uh, Alabama, Mississippi. Those are two foreign countries. Very foreign (laughs) countries. So they were from all over the place. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was a great experience for me. And my parents intentionally did that. Both of my parents grew up very poor. They grew up in uh, Orangeburg, South Carolina, and Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, They both uh, grew up picking cotton um, as -hmm. kids. Um, my dad, his family, he was 10 of 12, um, and his parents made $25 a week. Um, on my mom's side, they had more money. They actually owned land, um, and, but they, their, the brothers and the brothers had to pick cotton. My dad, his, her, um, dad would not allow the daughters to do that. 
and she was number 12 of 12. Um, her dad was born in 1897. Her mom was born in 1900. My dad's side was 1907 and 1911. So, um, no, no, sorry, 1907 and 1909. So both of them had seen a lot um, growing up. I mean, they were just a ton. Um, actually, my grandmother on my dad's side, she died one month away from being 101. Wow. So, I mean, there was just so much my parents had experienced. And so, and so they intentionally moved us to, which would have been the metropolitan area of South Carolina, which was Columbia, um, to get us around more races, um, to be more diverse in how we grew up and how we lived, because they said, we want you guys to be able to thrive wherever you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and that also played into the church that they decided to go to, as well to a very um, international church. So again, so that wherever we go from here, um, we can do that. Um, I do believe that played a huge part in, so my sister, she's a music teacher, worship leader at, at her church. My brother is a worship leader at his church. I'm a youth pastor, youth minister at my church. Um, and n- n- none of our churches are all black churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're very, um, very mixed. And so, um, and that's allowed us to be able to minister so much more freely, in my opinion, just because we're not locked to one group that we feel comfortable with. Um, and we've been able to, uh, it's easy for me to interact with like you guys sitting right here in this room mm-hmm. with no problem whatsoever, just because there's in, in my opinion, there's not really a wall that's up just because of how I grew up. Yes, we have different backgrounds and different mm-hmm. things, but I feel comfortable being able to do that. Well, it's interesting because as he says that, Bob, I think maybe, maybe jump in here that here's what I like about that. What I like about that is the minority says, hey, I'm going to go live with other people, the majority people, so that I can connect. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, for us as the majority, doing the opposite, it, I think it's hard for me to imagine. I don't know people who've done that. Mm-hmm. I applaud you doing it this way type thing, saying, hey, I'm going to move to where it is multicultural, to where there are not all African-American people, I'm moving with other people. Mm-hmm. But what would you say to, I hate to say this with this, what, what would you say to, 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 to white people then? Because mm-hmm. do you think they would do that or should do that? I mean, your parents made a conscious decision right. to do that. I mean, there are, I mean, there's quite a bit of families that have done that. Um, but I mean, if, but it's, I mean, but you look at it, it's, it's a minority of white people that have done that. Mm-hmm. Um, they haven't really had to move. It's, I mean, we naturally go where we stay comfortable, where we're comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and obviously, honestly, I mean, if for, uh, in my opinion, for most whites, when they move, it's more so they move among the socioeconomic scale more, more so than the ethnicity scale. They're not saying, let me move amongst these people. They're more so they move amongst this, right. this mm. you know, socioeconomic area, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not going to see people from that are poor in downtown Atlanta, they're not going to move to Johns Creek because mm-hmm. they can't afford to do it. Mm-hmm. And people in Johns Creek aren't going to move to downtown Atlanta for in the poor area mostly because they don't want to. Right. It's just a more mm-hmm. comfortable area. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, when we had to take the right path um, going through this, and I found out I was an adapter, and I was like, you know, and then Jessica um, Horn at the, that point in time, she was a minority. She's a minority as well, and she was – she had – she leaned more toward the adapting side as well. And I was just like, I wonder if it's a minority thing just because we typically have to adapt because our world isn't naturally 
Interesting. Cam over here shaking his head. What yeah, um, I think I benefit from that as well, just being biracial. Mm-hmm. Having a black father, white mom, growing up in Johns Creek, um, being educated in black culture. Mm-hmm. Um, just from my dad continuously reminding me about what our people have been through, um, the struggle of Jim Crow, the struggle of just even the 90s with his life and the things that he had to go through um, it made it easier for me to adjust the change just because it was just kind of natural for me to be around uh, white people was just the majority of my high school Mm -hmm. but if I had to talk to my dad's friends or I had to talk to the small group of minorities at my high school it just was an easier transition right because it, I was used to it at that point. I'm just this is who I am. So it's like that transition is easier for me. But what I haven't have noticed, I've noticed, I've noticed, I've noticed, I've had conversations um, with my wife is that that transition isn't as easy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the being biracial or being a minority for her is not um, an advantage. Mm-hmm. It's now being the majority is the disadvantage because mm-hmm. now it's. I have nothing to bring to the minority culture because this is all I know. Hmm. All I know is the majority culture. So I can completely agree and, and testify that experience in my own life. Just I've had, I never had a struggle with going to the barbershop and then going to work. Right. You know, it's just like I'm at the barbershop. I talk to my friends at the barbershop. I go to work and I talk to my coworkers at work. Right. Same dialect. Mm-hmm. Just I understand the cultures because I've been educated right. in both just by life and experience. And I, I see that's going to be the same for my kids as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that was actually a con- big conversation that Sarah and I had. Um, just, just for those who are listening here, because because we're not on TV here, because you know Bob and I have faces for radio. So so I'm white, and Bob's white. Just to let you know, Davon is black. I love how you Cam, have to stop point that yeah, out. Is, well, but but you're married to a white woman. Correct. Okay, so, so just to... Right, and I have four kids, by the way, and my oldest, he's actually, at the age of eight, has experienced um, some racism as well, um, which was a surprising thing for me, uh, just for, for what he had experienced. Um, but I just, it was, it's brought up many conversations for my wife and I, just for how do we raise our kids well and everything like that, because she said, you know, I've, she said, I don't look at you as... Like she obviously sees that I'm black, but she doesn't see the huge differences that are between our cultures. Not because she doesn't know them; it's just because of the love we have of for each other, the love we have for you know for Christ has brought us together, all of that. So, um, but when all these things start going down with all the shootings and everything like that, and the Black Lives Matter and all these different things, and it just felt like there was a dividing wall. She goes. She said, I've never felt apart from you or separated from you, she said, but now I'm beginning to feel like there's a separation that I can't cross. Um, and she goes, and it's even causing me to wonder how we're going to raise our kids in the midst of all <clears throat> of all this if things aren't getting better. Um, and so one of the things I just shared with her and had a chance to share with you guys as the, uh, the residents um, was that I said, for how my parents raised us and how they brought us up, they did a great job of teaching us and living out loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. And getting us grounded in the fact that we have to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And because of what, how He much he loves us and because of what he's done for us. Um, and in that, when we have that and allow that to change us, when we get a proper view of 
of God in that way and how we stand in his eyes um, and what we need to do because of his love for us in that that begins to that begins that outflow of loving our neighbor as ourselves it helps us to helps that to be an easier transition help to be an easier transition for me um, or just how I live my life even when I was having things said to me or about me that weren't right um, I was able to uh, hold my tongue when it was necessary I was able to um, speak up when it was necessary. I was able to handle those words that were said to me or whatever in a Christ-like fashion because I was able to fall back on, I need to love the Lord God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength because of how he's loved me. And so I'm able to love my neighbor as myself. I'm able to love them in the midst of what they're doing or saying. Um, and so whenever, I was telling her, whenever our kids, because they will face mm you know, issues, regardless of what they are, with their race or whatever it may be, but especially if they're race issues, mm-hmm. when they face those things, if we've done our best um, to entrench within them, hey, love your neighbor as yourself because mm-hmm. you need to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because of that first and greatest commandment. Um, if you let that be the foundation of who you are, then when those things come to you, you'll be able to love your neighbor the way that he calls you to. Um, you'll be able to uh, interact with multi multiple different races and ethnicities and all that because of your loving your neighbor as yourself because how much God has loved you and because you're how, you're trying to love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know, and Bob, I want to bring you in here. It, it's so it seems to me the, the the root then is, hey, black, white, brown, green. If you can really understand your identity is in Christ that covers all that and it's the root of all that and it supersedes all that and then out of that you can take the slings and arrows of men as right. Shakespeare said in the darts right. of the evil I mean, and those types of I'm things. not going to say it makes it easy yeah. I'm not going to say or anything like that but mm-hmm. um, it helps yeah. it truly does help when you are grounded on that mm-hmm. and um, you know, I think that um, and I absolutely agree with that here's the struggle I have with it it's just kind of like a, you know analogous to you know it's like the guy who says uh, I, I remember seeing this in a movie one time where this guy this guy was poor mm-hmm. and somebody rich looked at him and said uh, you know don't you worry money money's not everything and he says it's always the people that have money that say that right mm-hmm. and exactly. so uh, <laughs> so here it is that I could say you know it's the most important thing here is your identity in Christ um but I haven't had to deal with things that you've had to deal with mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because you're a black man and I'm a mm-hmm. white man. And so there's a part of me that, though it's absolutely true what mm-hmm. we're saying, you're obviously Jardini, there is something different here mm-hmm. that I think, you know, we don't like to talk about, but is there. Right. Right? And so, you know, I'm wrestling with how to, you know, do I you know, do we even speak into that? You know, as a white man, because I haven't experienced some of the things. Mm-hmm. I've heard your story, and I was very moved by it. And uh, I, you know, I hate to do this, but I think just for the sake of our audience, it may be helpful for them to hear mm-hmm. just a brief, some uh, brief story about your background to kind of let them know. Mm-hmm some of the challenges that you've had to go through. I think it would be good for them to hear that. Yeah. I know it's hard, and I appreciate your courage that you took when you shared that, mm-hmm. uh, that you had. But I would love for them to hear a little bit of that. Sure. Um, probably one of, the, one of the first stories that 
uh, come to mind. Probably the, the biggest one would definitely be um, uh, when I went to Romania. Um, and then we, I went on a missions trip, and I was of the, I'd say, probably 40 uh, students at that point in time that had gone. I was the only... Um, they also mentioned the only minority that had gone, like, period. It wasn't just the only black person that was there. Um, so, I mean, there were, uh, we were at a restaurant that uh, went to an outdoor restaurant, and um, they had a, a band that was there playing. And uh, uh, one of the uh, the band members, he said, you know, he called me up. He said, hey, why don't you come up here for a second? And I was like, sure, why not? You know, I'm not afraid to get up on stage in front of people and make a fool of myself if I need to like doing it so um uh so i got up there and you know he she was joking around for a little bit and he just said hey how about you uh why don't you get up here and, and dance for us and i was like you know i kind of just chuckled i was like no thanks i don't i don't typically dance i said I just, i'm not good at it so i'm not going to um and so he his response was to to put the mic behind his back so no one could hear it and say i told you to dance you chocolate monkey mm. um so uh, that was one of those times for, for me, that um, I'd say literally God helped me to walk away, um, because I mean I just I just left the stage. No one knew what happened. I knew I was in Romania. I didn't know where I was going. But I said I can't be here. So I just walked away for uh, probably thirty minutes to an hour, somewhere around there. Uh, made my way back to the restaurant. Who asked where I was and just said I just had to go for a walk. Just never share that story with them at that point in time. Um, uh, one of the times I had gotten pulled over in Daytona with some friends, um, we were, I was with Camps Crusade and we were going through our training at that point in time. And, uh, we were driving, we went to, went to grab something to eat for dinner. It was about seven o'clock. Um, so it was, it was fairly dark outside cause it was in, it was in January. And so we left, uh, left the place, I guess about eight. We're driving down, uh, driving down Daytona, I don't even know, like A1A, I think that's what it was. Mm -hmm. um, so we were driving down, and then we got pulled over by a police officer, and he said, do you know why I pulled you over? And I, I know it wasn't speeding, so I just said, I, honestly, I don't know. He said, you have a taillight that's out, and I said, okay, I understand, because I have to give you a ticket for that, and I was like, that's that's fine. And so he said, well, where are you from? And I told him I was from South Carolina, told him I was here from, for uh, uh, Kim's Crusade training, told him what Kim's Crusade was all about, and everything like that and he said okay and then he asked the next guy in the car who he was and what he was doing and he asked the next guy in the car what he was who he was and what he was doing asked the next he had us pass all of our licenses up and began to basically kind of interrogate us just to make sure that we were who we said we were and it was it was should have been just a routine traffic stop that's all it should have been that's all it was needed i mean we even had lanyards that said what we were there for um uh, one other time, I came back late one night from uh, from a, a Clemson game, and uh, I had a mattress outside that my son, he was just we needed a new mattress for him, so I had it out by the side of the road. And there was a, one of those big dumpsters or whatever that they have, big trash cans. And so I was like, hey, let me just, at a, at a, a store near my house. And typically they say private, you can't use, don't throw anything in there. So I was like, let me just check and make sure before I threw it away. Um, so I drove over there. Um, to see it and just to stop, didn't get out of the car, just stopped to see if it was, mm -hmm. the sign was on there. Started to drive home, was almost at my house. It was, the place is about a mile away from my house. Um, I was almost home. Also, I get lights flash behind me. 
um, the officer said, hey, um, I'm pulling you over. Uh, do you know what do you know the reason why? Um, and I was just like, no, not sure. Um, he said, so I saw you over at the uh, that store over there and I uh, just wanted to know if you were casing the joint. And I was like, no, actually, I was just just checking the garbage can to see if there was a mattress on the whole mattress story, everything like that. He goes, okay, so you sure that you weren't casing the joint? And I was like, yeah. All I was doing was just checking out the mattress, um, checking out the, the garbage can for the mattress. He said, well, I'm going to let you off with a warning, uh, which typically means you're free to go. Um, and so he did let me go, but he also had a written warning. So it wasn't just a you're free to go, but a written warning means it's in the system, means that if something happens again, like basically, I don't truly believe what this man is saying. Mm-hmm. So there will be a red flag the next time he's pulled over. Um, so, you know, just you know, have things like that. Um, the apartment complex that we used to live in, uh, there were multiple issues of people coming. My wife was the leasing consultant there. Uh, and then, um, and so there were many times where people would come up to her and say, hey, we love these apartment complexes, um, but we don't, you know, how, they, they said, well, we don't want to be living next to any niggers. And, um, or they would say, you know, we really love this place. It's great. Um, uh, but how many niggers do you have living in this apartment complex? And that's determining whether we're going to live here or not. And so, you know, she would come home crying sometimes or she would call me like after they had talked uh, she had just had a conversation with a couple like that um so that that didn't ha- that was not necessarily few and far between but it happened enough times mm. you know once is enough mm. um so um so there were there but there were multiple occasions of that um yeah so that that's just a couple of this, just the different stories of and I've been pulled over other times as well, just been followed by police officers um, just because wrong place, wrong time, or whatever it might be. And you fit the profile. <clears throat> exactly, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the story I was saying earlier about my son um, is not, uh, well, I'm not going to downplay it. I'll just tell the story. Um, he went on a spring break with some of our friends, uh, some friends of our family. There was about 20 different couples, well, 20 different families that were there. Um, and so we're like, hey, yeah, we would, We know that you love our family. We know you love our son. So, yeah, go ahead. You can take him and he'll have a great time, And which he did. Um, but I guess about halfway through the week while he was there, one of the, the students, actually one of my students who I'm really close with, um, he said, hey, Jay, would you like a cookie? And Jay, being eight years old, was like, absolutely. You know, of course. Um, and he looks at him and he goes, well, you can't have one because you're black. And so my son just like, just kind of just shut down. And he just said, oh no, I'm just kidding, man, I'm kidding. Cause I'm just joking around, Jay, you can have one. And he just, my son walked away. He was like, no, I'm, I'm good. Mm-hmm. Um, which I've said many times, I'm proud of him to, to stand up and do that. Um, I've since talked to that student as well, said, man, you can't, you don't, don't ever do that again, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, just, just things like that that happened whether it be discrimination or it be just even just little things that are thrown out there. Mm-hmm. Um, me being called multiple times throughout my life. And I've said this before up until probably two years ago, I can remember the first time it happened would have been in the fourth grade although to two years ago, which I was two years ago, I was 34 um, of someone I know that's a friend of mine would say, Oh, Dave, you're not black, you're white. And my question is, what have I done to earn this ethnic upgrade? Right. You know, um, 
you know, because I'm well educated, because right. of what what thing, what earmarks did I hit mm-hmm. so that I don't have to be black anymore? Right. You know, and so just different things like that. So, well, you know, it's I think that when I think about us as a church, and I think about uh, people in our church from different ethnicities. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't there's no way that I can that I can totally empathize or maybe even empathize with your situation. Mm-hmm. But I think there's there's a reason to talk about these things and that is to make us more sensitive and aware. Mm-hmm. So I mean what do, what do you think like telling these stories is it what what do you hope to accomplish with it when mm-hmm. you when you talk to people about it? What 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 do you what do you want people to receive from that? Right. Um, my main thing is for for them to listen, uh, to be slow to speak, and, and just to listen and to hear the the hurt that's happening. Um, you think about uh, the shootings that have just recently happened, um, and as many, mil- I would say millions of people have done, they've looked at the, the comments, they've looked at the responses of what people are saying, you, you know, or they've, they've given their own response to it. And, you know, you get responses from, you know, people saying that they deserve what happened. Like even people that are, you know, the guy that was unarmed, instead of saying, well, this is an awful thing that's happened, it's more so, well, he deserved it. He didn't listen to what the police officer said, or he did this, or he was reaching in a window, or, you know, just, or some people say, well, he wasn't, you know, just there's so many different things. And the, the, the issue is, even if he wasn't listened to, poli- to the police officer, not saying he shouldn't have, he should have listened to what the police mm-hmm. officer said, but the at the end, the man died, right. you know, and it's, it's a loss of life that happened. It's not just he's belligerent, because there's people that are belligerent all over our country mm-hmm. that don't get shot. Um, you have, and, and so you have that side of it. So just like listen into what the families are saying. Listen to, and on the other side, listen to what the police officers are saying, because they're hurting too. You know, not all of them are armed and dangerous. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, one of my my great friends here, who's a, a police officer in Johns Creek, uh, he's a black police officer, and he's like, man, Dave, I feel like I'm towing a very thin line, mm-hmm. like all the time. Um, and so, you know, you have that going on. So, you know, there's two sides to every story. There's two sides that are hurting. And so we as a church need to be quick to listen and slow to speak um, and slow to become angry. Um, when you begin to listen to what both sides are saying, it will help you. Your conversation will help your conversation be seasoned with salt. It'll help you to administer grace to the hearers. It'll help you to not be it'll have help you to have a righteous anger a righteous indignation about something, mm-hmm. but about the right things instead of, oh, this happened, this person deserved it, or this this happened and um, where's the justice? And it's just strictly it's justice or it's peace or it's this, and it's not what's the deeper issue here? Um, mm-hmm. What happened? How did this thing end up and why did it end up this way? And begin to think through uh, what's going on. Um, uh, I think that, I guess one practical way to help that situation or these situations would be before you comment, because we all understand the the pitfalls of Facebook and Twitter mm-hmm. and things like that. Mm-hmm. Before you throw something out there as a church, as believers, to make sure that the best that can come out of this situation happens, 
find a, a friend of yours that's a, you know that's a minority and say, hey, this is something I'm thinking, this is what I'm feeling. Let me run my thoughts past you, or here read this so that my heart can be heard and not just people just reading these words and they're interpreting this, this, and this. But you know, so if I don't need to write this at all, or if there's things I need to tweak, or just whatever, you know, run those things past them. Um, I, I think that's one big thing. I think for uh, for churches in general or our church um, uh, to be able to help just the situation for when we're trying to minister well to people that are coming into this church or people that are coming to this church all the time. Um, having more minorities in a, in a role of, of visual prominence, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for our staff to become more diverse is great, but most people don't know who's on staff. They see uh, the worship pastor, the worship leader, and whoever the the, the teacher that day, mm-hmm. and so um, for that for there to be a different color face on there, mm-hmm. um, they're like, wow, that's great. This church is their thought process isn't what I may have thought it was, or that's something I can do one day. I mean, this actually happened mm-hmm. Friday night at the Bricks. Um, there were five um, young black men that were. Uh, they attended the Bricks last Friday for the very first time. I got on stage and just began to to talk to the kids and then just, and to share the gospel and everything like that. The night was the night was over. They went to one of our other leaders and said, "Hey, who's that? Who's that guy that was over there?" And they said, "Oh, that's that's Davon. He's the Bricks director." And they're like, "Wait, he's the guy that's in charge?" And like they're like, "Wow!" It was almost like a starstruck to see that there was an African American man that was standing up in front of people and in a big church, in a big place of prominence like this. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I, I mean, there's so many things that are running through my mind right now. Well, it's interesting so. you say that because there's a lot of them running run through my mind too, and I'm not sure I can get it all out. But mm-hmm. on one level, as you're telling the stories, I'm thinking, well, what can I do? Because, you know, I'm, I'm going to have this bias for action. Mm-hmm. What do I do? Right. You know, I, I know I can go home tonight and... Um, if a meal needs to be cooked, I can cook it. I, mm-hmm. I got the ing- and I can make that happen. Or the trash needs to be taken out. Or what? There's this. Or like Bob Bob Carter and I sometimes say at the end of the day we go home and just flush the toilet because mm-hmm. we got nothing accomplished at work all day long. <laughs> you know, perimeter sometimes you have all these esoteric ideas and philosophies and what. Like, if we, can we do something? You go home and you flush the toilet and you say, "I made something happen here. It's right. awesome. You know, I got, got something to, to to work here." Uh, so that's one thing. There are these, there are these systemic issues, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm thinking, uh, what am I going to do about that? But then I'm, all, I'm hearing you say, listen. Mm-hmm. And I think for those of you who are listening to this, uh, that's, not like a, um, that's not an easy thing to do. It's not. Because we mostly want to talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to think through, okay, and, and I think you're, all, you're saying to me today, listen to what you've heard before. In other words, don't cut someone off because you say, "Well, I've heard that. I've heard that narrative before. I've heard that story before." But engage and listen because mm-hmm. that takes you into the story. Right. And I think that's a helpful. It's like letting that language coming into my brain. It's like me listening to Spanish mm-hmm. over and over again. I'm going to listen to the the Spanish words, the simplest Spanish words, over and over again until they get in my brain and I begin thinking in Spanish. Mm-hmm. So I need to get that in. So that that's a huge yeah. thing. I, I heard someone say, I think it was last week that our, our culture is, cha- is 
no longer a culture of dialogue, but a, cu- a culture of monologue. Mm-hmm. So everyone just wants to say something mm-hmm. and just get something mm-hmm. out instead mm-hmm. of beginning to have conversations where we can go back and forth. Mm-hmm. And even if you disagree on it, you've at least heard their side of the story. You've had to listen to be able to truly argue with their side of the story. Yeah, and it, and it becomes a... Uh, I mean, it's, it's much like when uh, Randy and I are, are doing marriage counseling. <laughs> Just think of this. Yeah, because it, it often comes down to right and wrong. And, mm-hmm. and, it, and what I mean by that, not that we believe that, but it's mm-hmm. like who's right and who's wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's rarely, rarely, if any, ever the issue. Mm-hmm. But the, the culture of monologue so to speak it becomes I'm right you're wrong mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and when we have that mindset it nobody listens to each other I mm-hmm. mean it's like well it's also this if someone tries to speak mm-hmm. someone's trying to speak over them mm-hmm. so if, I, if I'm trying to get I had just had a couple in my office and she was saying I think we need some counseling mm-hmm. and she had barely gotten the word out of her mouth we don't need counseling. Why do you think we need to... If you're looking for a divorce, we're looking, you're ramping this whole... I mean, he just oh, just right. pummeled her. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, and I said, let's role play. And I role played with her, but she said it again. And I said, now tell me why you're feeling that way. Mm-hmm. Why, why, explain to me why you think we need counseling. And she began weeping. Right. And after two or three minutes, I said, how'd that feel? She said, I feel released. Mm-hmm. Like you, you listened to me and you mm-hmm. asked me some questions. I said to him... Don't, don't, but, but that's the way of the world, isn't it? Right. In politics and business and whatever. We're always gonna formulating a response to what someone is saying yeah. instead of trying to hear, hear so them how, out. So how does the church mm-hmm. listen better? Right. Can you talk to that issue then we can jump in your time? How does the church listen better? Sure. Um, honestly, I, I, some of the things I wrote down are just what, like what I said in the beginning. Just, I mean, begin to get the info on the other cultures that are around you. Just if nothing else, so you can begin to un- better understand. Mm-hmm. So no matter what ethnicity they may be, that they may be, you can begin to even begin to celebrate at least a little bit um, who they are, understand who they are, understand where they come from. Mm-hmm. Um, not so you won't be offensive necessarily, but just so you can better understand. Okay. Um, uh, again, posting, before you post something, find out how other people feel about it first. Mm-hmm. Um, because we don't just represent us. We don't just re- represent our family. We represent not even just perimeter. We represent the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And people look at that. And so when we begin to just throw things out there, lob grenades into an already volatile situation, we are taking that. We're hiding our light under a bushel. Mm-hmm. We're beginning to, to say, okay, it doesn't really matter how anyone feels right now. I just got to say it. Mm-hmm. You know, so to begin to run those things past people. Um Get your your get families involved. Um, get your family involved in opportunities where you're serving alongside minorities and not just serving minorities. Um, That's huge, man. Because when you just when you're strictly just serving the minority family, it you begin to feel like, hey, I'm better, mm-hmm. even if it's unintentional. And they feel like a project, right? They feel like a project. I feel a little bit better. I have That's something. Huge. I have something mm-hmm. to give you. Mm-hmm. Come take a look and see what I have instead of mm-hmm. let me walk work alongside you because we both have something to give. Uh-huh. You know, we both have something to give to this other family or to this issue or to whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. So work alongside them, and that 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 begins to break down walls. That begins conversations that should and need to be had um, that builds friendships because there's a camaraderie that's that's happening there. I mean, you look at 
military, you look at sport, you know, sports teams and or whatever it might be where they are active and engaging together, those walls begin to break down because we have the same goal, we have the same purpose, all of that. But if they're but when those, you know, and, and so it's just when that military goes and serves another country, they're going like, hey, we have something to give you. Mm-hmm. But when they're working alongside each other, it's like, hey, what can we do together? Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, then also just be, helping your family think through the things that could be offensive. And if you don't know what they are, ask questions. Mm-hmm. You know, um, again, like don't tell a minority person, hey, you're not you're not whatever color you are or whatever ethnicity you are. You're white. And and thinking through, like, why am I saying that? You know, that doesn't make any sense. You, they, you know, uh, again, what have they done to earn this upgrade? Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, choosing, we, we all choose our schools and our churches for what they can give us. Um, and beginning to think through, why, are my, why am I sending my kid to this school? Yes, it might have a great education. We want our kids to have a great education. But taking that additional step, say, I want my kids to have a great education and... Like, let's get them around some other ethnicities and, my, you know, other races so that they can be more well-rounded. Not just because they're well-rounded because they've done all these different activities in school, but, mm-hmm. like, socially well-rounded because they have been around other people from different races. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had conversations and overheard conversations with families that, um, that are here. They said, well, I'm not going to send my kid to this school because they have, because the... Um, the, the the ratio of race isn't what I want. It's not there's there's so many minorities at the school and these minorities don't try. Well, if I get my kid into this accelerated program uh, or this honors program or whatever it might be, this advanced program, well, they'll work hard in that program. So maybe they'll you know, it's just little things like that. And I'm just shaking my head. I'm like, are you serious? Mm-hmm. You know, put your kids in a school where they can thrive and they can grow and they can share the love of Christ that you've been trying to teach them. And they can understand better how to do that with other cultures and minorities. And, uh, that God has given us the ministry and message of reconciliation to do not. He doesn't want you in this school just so you can get a great education, but what other education can you get? Um, like the whole, uh, thrive where you're planted. Like, you know, when, when Chip challenges to, you know, bless your city. Mm-hmm. Well, how about these, you know, telling your family, hey, let's bless our city and let's bless our school. Mm-hmm. Um, we pulled our kids out of perimeter. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons we don't have them at perimeter um, perimeter school is because we want to bless Duluth where we live. Mm-hmm. Um, it taught, you know, teaching them how to be a light in a dark world. Mm-hmm. Um, and also remembering, you know, there are Christians in public schools. <laughs> you know, and there's a lot of them. Right. And there's things that our kids have and that they've learned through going to Perimeter. There's things, you know, the school and the church that they can help their friends out and help them to know. Yeah. Um, so choosing your church and choosing your school, not just basically on what you can get, or but I guess theologically or education-wise, but what else can you get through just... In a, well, I guess, yeah, in addition to that, the, the other cultures that are involved in that church... How else can my family begin to grow? That's awesome. Um, I want to go back to your point about what can be offensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you know, for us, it's kind of like, well, we're not quite sure. Maybe it mm-hmm. is, maybe it isn't. I, I wonder, and this could be like a really stupid idea here, but my, my mother-in-law, who's hard of hearing, who's 83, we mm-hmm. went to the audiologist, did the whole thing mm-hmm. with her, and the audiologist then handed us this list. 
10 things to do mm -hmm. for people who are hard of hearing. When you go into a restaurant, make sure you have them sit by, by the wall because mm -hmm. the acoustics are better. Hmm. Make sure you're looking at their face when you talk to them so that they can help read your lips, those type things. And there mm -hmm. was like 10 of those. And then there was the one thing for the hard of hearing person. Mm -hmm. The hard of hearing person, the only thing they had, that she had to do on the list was to be bold enough to say, I can't hear you. Mm. So it was like, and we're, we're walking through that with her. And it's mm -hmm. challenging because she doesn't want to say, I can't hear you. Right, right. She wants to pretend like she can hear us. Yeah. Uh, and we, we kind of are forgetful of the things that we should do to, to help her hear better. Mm -hmm. So I wonder, I don't know, is there a list out there? Or, or you, could you guys come up with a list? Here are, here are you know, because I think if you came up with 10 things, mm -hmm. probably, and not because Bob and I are so great and sophisticated and whatnot, we could probably say eight of those, okay, we, we get, and two of those, right. we go, really? That, that's not a good thing to do or say mm -hmm. or whatever? Right. Is, would something like that be helpful for the church, for us? I mean, honestly, to, I don't think that there's... There's necessarily, I mean, I'm sure if you Google it there, you'll find some kind of a list. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I want that list. Yeah, but. <laughs> but one of the things that, that triggered from what you said to me is you said for those that are hard of hearing. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're getting at right here. For those mm -hmm. that just don't know how to listen mm -hmm. yet or aren't listening, to be bold enough to listen. To say, I can't, I can't hear. To be I'm not hearing. To, yeah. Bold yeah. enough to ask yeah. those questions. And just like yeah. you just said, is there a list? Just ask, hey. It's a good metaphor. What do I need to do? Yeah. You know, who do I need yeah. to talk to? And just yeah. say the people that are around you. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the, I mean, if you think about it, um, if you don't know someone that is of your own race and you want to get to know them, you just begin to ask them questions. Mm -hmm. You begin yep. to ask them, who are you? Where are you from? Mm -hmm. What's your background? What's your family look like? That's the exact same thing you would do with someone that's of a different race. Yeah. You just might go a little deeper, say, so not only where are you from, where's your family from? Mm -hmm. You know, where did where you know, and just just go one just an additional step of finding a little bit more information. Mm -hmm. You still would want to invite them into your home and just say, Hey, we have a something going on at my house or we have something going on at our church and just mm -hmm. just taking that additional that additional step of what else and thinking through what else can I do, what else can I say? Yeah. Um because I again, I mean Having that boldness to, to listen. And do it in a winsome way. Yeah. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think about, we probably don't have any concept of early Gentiles and Jews being together. Mm. And they had to do the very same thing, I bet. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah. You can imagine the first Gentile Jew kind of brunch or whatever they had. Uh, yeah. The Gentile might have said something that was offensive to the Jew or, oh, or vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for sure. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. To be, learn to work through what does it mean to become one? Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. I guess one thing I would also ask you is uh, first off, thank you. Uh, sure. This is yeah. great. Mm -hmm. And uh, appreciate your stories. And I do appreciate the uh, practical things you shared. There's times that, well, not times, uh, most often I feel sort of helpless when it comes to this. I mm -hmm. think, I believe, at least intellectually in my head, mm -hmm. that when it comes to specific race issues in our culture, there are systemic things. Mm -hmm. I feel powerless, honestly. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm not asking you to address it all here, cause, but I'm just thinking, is there... Is there anything that comes to mind to you for you to say, hey, uh, we can affect this mm -hmm. as, as a church. We can affect some systemic issues. Because at times I feel like I'm like, there's no way. Because mm -hmm. there's too many layers of this and all the politics involved in it. Mm -hmm. 
I just feel like, oh my gosh, I, I wouldn't even know where to start. Yeah. Right. This is a great place to land the plane. Yeah. Right. That's Wrapping up. Yeah. Um, I, I think that you just got to start with where you are. Um, Tara and I had a conversation of like the, the new service that we started at the church. Mm. And uh, we we're just saying, you know, it would be great for us to invite our friends, with, you know, you know, friends of different ethnicities, but does this specific service fit them? You know, and, and looking around the room, it's, it's more the same, you know, more the same color faces and, and different things like that. And I was like, you know, I thought, you know, I said, you know, Terry, I had the same thought running through my head. And I said, but then I saw this black family and this black family and this black family and this black family and this Korean family. And they're walking through the doors of this church. And I said, the reason they're here is because one, someone either invited them here um, or they were just curious about what's going on here. Yeah. But ultimately, God brought them here. Yeah. And I said, we don't know who's going to stick. We don't know who's going to stay here. We don't know what they're going to get. We don't know what community that they're going to find uh, within the walls of this church. But it's, uh, it's our job to invite them. And so it, going from what you said, I, I would say just to start with where you are, uh, with the people that you run into on a fairly regular basis, people that may know you, and just begin to talk and have conversations with them. Because it may not be us personally who changes everything but we don't know what conversations they're having with other people, their contacts that they may have. Um, I think of a story I heard a long time ago. Billy, No one knows who Billy Graham, uh, his Sunday school teacher's name is. But we all know who Billy Graham mm-hmm. is. And because his Sunday school teacher did his best to reach out to him and share with him the gospel, now millions of people have been affected by that. So I think we just need to start with where we are. Um, and, it, you know, just... Say, God, give me give me eyes to see and ears to hear. Mm. And wherever you go, whether it's gas station, Walmart, Target, uh, wherever you may be, in the doors of the church, there's someone that's brand new that God already brought here. Just begin those conversations. Just get to know people because that's where it's, I believe that's where it truly starts. Right. So, Well, man, I want to thank you for joining us today. Um, Absolutely. I'm going to summarize just a handful of things here for those of you uh, uh, listening. So, listening, that's that's the big thing, I think, here. Absolutely. Listen. Yeah. I mean, I, I need the lesson there. Shut up, Randy, and listen. Hmm. Listen and listen and listen to what people are, are, are saying out there. Working alongside people, you know, and not viewing them as a project or whatever. We're not better. Uh, think about what's offensive. Just, just think about it. And, and it, I guess the other part about that I want to say, by the way, is if you hear something as if you're a white person, you hear something that's offensive, call it out. It, it shouldn't be our, our African-American brothers that always have to say, that's racism. We should be pointing that out, too, mm-hmm. you know, when, when there's an offensive con- Even if someone didn't, didn't, didn't mean it specifically, mm-hmm. but if it is, it is, call it out. Uh, go, go places where other people are, schools and churches and those type things. And then the, the simple truth really is starting where you're at. So there's more. So... Um, uh, thanks, man, for sure. being here. Thanks, Cam, David. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thank you Absolutely. for being here. Thank love you, you too. Cool. And yeah. appreciate it. And Bob, appreciate you as always. So we we'll hope you all will listen again to our next edition of One for the Road.